You're listening to the next best thing. Here's what's making news tonight. Uh, I don't know how many of you out there listen to the old-fashioned AM/FM radio nowadays, but if you listen to any stations here in New York, particularly WFAN, the most popular sports radio station here, you're probably familiar with a guy named Mike Francesa. Listen, when you get back from Mars, call us, okay? You're losing me. I don't know what you're saying. Hallelujah, okay? Big deal. I don't know what you're saying. What are you talking about? Excuse me? You get lost, you dope. You could not be more wrong. Absolute garbage. This was such a joke. Yes, that's Mike talking to his callers who call in all the time every day. You see, Mike Francesa is probably one of the most famous sports talk show hosts ever, really. He's based right here in New York City. He's on WFAN, the CBS radio affiliate, 101.9 FM. And he's been on for, I mean, according to him and really everybody, probably 112 years. I mean, he started here in New York with Chris Russo. They had Mike and the Mad Dog, hugely popular show. It really kind of changed the kind of landscape for sports radio. And he's been solo since 2008. He's very popular, even though he talks to his listeners like they couldn't be dumber. And on that note... I think I really do want the next best thing to be kind of a back and forth a discussion. So I'm thinking we'll open up the phone lines every now and then and see what you think about whatever we happen to be discussing. The phone number here at Radio Free Brooklyn is, do you have a pen? 718-928-9RFB. That's 718-928-9732. Right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Something to keep in mind. Anyway, moving right along. Okay, friends, it's just about time for my favorite segment of the show. We started it last week. We're continuing it this week. It's a segment I like to call... Must See Scary Movies. Yes, that's right. Must See Scary Movies. And tonight marks somewhat of a special occasion, folks. You see, I've done a Best of Scary Movies episode right here on Blog Talk Radio a total of three times. And while this movie that we are going to feature tonight is, has been, and probably always will be one of my very all-time favorite scary movies of all time... I have never once gotten to really talk about it. It's actually been quite hilarious. And by hilarious, I naturally mean frustrating as all hell. But you know what? That's all ancient history. I've gotten over it clearly, and tonight is the night. Tonight's the night we're gonna make it happen. Did I really just do that? All right, well, anyway, let's not waste any more time, folks. Yes, tonight's featured scary movie it is a film called Pet Cemetery. What is this place? This was a burial ground. Whose burial ground? Big Mike Indians. You know, folks, this movie is an enigma in a lot of ways. It's not directed by some big-name horror director like Wes Craven or John Carpenter. In fact, not only that, but, well, this movie came out in 1989 and was directed by a woman named Mary Lambert. 
Since then, Mary Lambert has gone on to direct only really a handful of films, some music videos, a couple of TV episodes. But when it comes to the films, they've all, in my opinion, kind of sucked the big one, including a sequel to this movie, Pet Cemetery 2, which came out three years later, which really sucked. And so how then did she pull this out of her bag of tricks? The world may never know. Another way in which this film is an enigma is that this Stephen King adaptation comes from a book that he, unlike any other of his publications, put away thinking it unsuitable for publication for fear that he had gone too far with the subject matter. Stephen King felt he had gone too far with the subject matter. For those of you who don't know, this is the guy who wrote Carrie, The Shining, Salem's Lot, and It, the movie with that terrifying evil clown. But it was this, Pet Cemetery, that he felt he had just gone too far with, and so did his wife, and so did his friend, another author. The last way in which this movie is an enigma, and then I promise we'll get into the heart and soul of it, is that it combines a number of different elements that you usually see solidified in a horror movie. It also involves a uniquely large amount of characters, uh, so much so that it'd be very easy to get kind of scatterbrained and to feel as if the film didn't have any real focus, but you never feel that way in this movie. It all ties together amazingly well. It has everything from ghosts to the actual undead to the hauntings of strained relationships in one's past to suicide and the sudden loss of an immediate family member. It's all there, and it all plays an incredibly effective role. And to notice how none of those things I've mentioned innately involve animals. You see, folks, I think this film's title gives people the wrong impression. They hear Pet Cemetery and they immediately think, oh, okay, well, it's a film about dead animals, whatever. They can figure it out. They make one assumption or another, and they assume it's not going to be interesting. The animals play a tiny role in the overall theme of this movie, and it's really not about them at all. What this film's really about when you get right down to it is the idea of cheating death, of bringing one back whom you loved so dearly and feel you lost unfairly, which frankly, is pretty much any death one may experience. If you were given the opportunity to bring them back and to cheat fate, would you do it? Would you do it regardless of the possible consequences? It's an interesting question, and as we learn in this movie, it can have dire consequences. You see, friends, Lewis Creed was hired as the new doctor at a local college, And on day one, literally his first day on the job, he is faced with the challenge of treating the victim of a terrible, terrible accident. His name was Victor Pascal, and sadly, he dies on the operating table, but not before suddenly grabbing Lewis and whispering a mysterious and cryptic message to him just before dying. That night, in what is seemingly a dream, Victor visits Lewis in his sleep, warning him about the burial ground. Remember, Doc, the barrier was not meant to be crossed. The ground is somewhere. 
And thus our journey begins. The weeks pass, and come Thanksgiving time, the family pet cat, Church, short for Winston Churchill, gets run over by a semi-truck in the road right in front of their house. Lewis buries the cat on the Micmac grounds. Not but a few days after the burial, Lewis discovers Church in the garage, seemingly brought back to life. However, there is something different. Church is not the same. He seems evil. An evil shell of his former self. Then, things take a drastic turn. And you know what, folks? I think I may just leave it at that. However, I would absolutely be remiss if I didn't at least touch on the single character in this movie that truly haunted me. The one image and the one character that stuck with me like none other and to this day scares the crap out of me. Not long after the tragic events, Rachel hears her husband, Lewis talking to their daughter, Ellie, about death and about what possibly happens when you die. It clearly makes her uncomfortable, and that night she approaches Lewis in the bedroom to tell him why. My sister, Zelda. I know, she died. Spinal meningitis. She was in the back bedroom like a dirty secret. My sister died in in the back bedroom, and that's what she was. A dirty secret. I had to... Sometimes I hated it, but I did it. We wanted her to die. We wished for her to be dead. It wasn't just so she wouldn't feel any more pain. It was so we wouldn't feel any more pain. It was because she started to look like this monster. Even now, I wake up and I think, is Zelda dead yet? She certainly is, but from that point forward, the spirit of Zelda, her ill and absolutely disturbing-looking sister, comes after Rachel, comes after her for letting her die. Words cannot express the horror of seeing this emaciated corpse of a body disentangle itself and sit up straight to tell her what she had come back for. Rachel! Is that you? I finally came back for you, Rachel. I'm going to twist your back like mine so you'll never get out of bed again. Does this not already scare the crap out of you? You ain't seen nothing yet, folks. 
this movie is terrifying. It absolutely ranks up there with The Exorcist, and for me, far beyond, this is the scariest movie I have ever seen. It's very subjective, so it may not be the same case for you, but I guarantee it will scare you. I also want to mention before wrapping this up, that a huge portion of what made this movie so good is the acting. I'm surprised I haven't mentioned it before. But the acting in this movie is strikingly good. From Lewis Creed to Zelda. Was that not terrifying? That actor playing Zelda. In the few scenes they were in, they were able to communicate and terrify better than any villain I've seen in the past ten years for sure. An enigma it may be. But as far as I'm concerned, this film should go down in history as one of the scariest movies of all time. Don't believe me? No problem. Go on out, buy it, or rent it, and watch it. And then you tell me. This has been this week's edition of Must See Scary Movies. If you've seen this film and have anything you'd like to add, I would love to hear from you. All right, you're listening to The Next Best Thing on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was Face to Face singing on Popeye the Sailor Man on Saturday Morning Cartoon's Greatest Hits from 1995. How random was that song, you're probably thinking? Well, it all fits along. See, we're about to talk about someone who was in the movie musical Popeye. Not Robin Williams, but Shelley Duvall, who played Olive Oil. Shelley Duvall uh, is probably most famous for starring alongside Jack Nicholson in one of my all-time favorite scary movies, also a Stephen King picture, like Pet Cemetery. But this one is called The Shining. No, I'm not going to be reviewing The Shining tonight. We already did our scary movie review. I should review it at some point, but I'm bringing it up because that is probably Shelley Duvall's most famous role she played. Wendy Torrance, alongside Jack Nicholson, in The Shining. Great, great film. It's great for a number of reasons. Some would say Stanley Kubrick's genius directing. Some would say the acting. I think, honest to God, Jack Nicholson... Huge star, amazing actor. He was great in the film. But honestly, I think Shelley Duvall really worked well off of him as the weak, timid Wendy. I think 
should discuss what should be done. What should be done with him? I don't know. I don't think that's true. I think you have some very definite ideas about what should be done with Danny, and I'd like to know what they are. Maybe he should be taken to a doctor. When do you think maybe he should be taken to a doctor? As soon as possible. As soon as possible. I really could listen to that whole movie, or watch it for that matter. Movies typically are watched, not just listened to. But great movie, great scenes, great, great playing off of each other. with us. There's a crazy woman in one of the rooms. She tried to strangle Danny. Are you out of your fucking mind? Interesting question. Interesting question that Jack Nicholson would ask Shelley Duvall because as it turns out, yeah, she's pretty much out of her mind. Uh, I don't know if any of you out there watch Dr. Phil. I, for one, do not. But every now and then, Dr. Phil will land a really big, interesting interview. He recently interviewed Burke Ramsey, the brother of JonBenet Ramsey, who was apparently some conspiracy theorist thought murdered his little sister at the age of nine. Anyway, he had him on recently. He's had a number of people on who are interesting for one reason or another. This past week, he had on Shelley Duvall. Shelley Duvall of The Shining, of Popeye, of Roxanne with Steve Martin, of Fairy Tale Theater. She's a, she was a producer. I think she won an Emmy or two. She produced a lot of stuff for Showtime. Anyway, she was, a, she was, she was not, you know, a huge bombshell, or a huge star, I should say. But she was, you know, she was a movie actress, a well-known movie and television actress, mainly in the 80s, early 90s. Well, she had kind of, you know, fallen from public view as of late. She, as far as I knew, she retired from acting in 2002. But, you know, I saw a documentary not long ago about Stanley Kubrick's life. It was called Stanley Kubrick, A Life in Pictures. And it interviewed a lot of people who were in his various movies. 2001 A Space Odyssey, Dr. Strangelove, Full Metal Jacket, The Shining. And it was made probably in 2003 or 2004. And Shelley Duvall's in it. And, you know, sure, that's 12 years ago. But she's she seems normal. She talks about her experience. She talks about you know, what it was like to work with Stanley, she's sane. Well, she's not sane anymore. I mean, first of all, and I want a disclaimer out there, I'm not making, I'm not exploiting mental illness, which we're going to talk about in a second. But it was jarring to see her just from the, the very first shot of the of the interview. When she walks in the room, I mean unrecognizable, completely unrecognizable. You know, Shelley Duvall was not some, she wasn't 
a typical Hollywood bombshell. She wasn't, you know, she had really, she had black hair. She was really skinny. I mean, waif-like and, you know, svelte. She kind of had bug eyes. She was a character actress, um, you know, but she was, you know, if nothing else, she was rail thin. She is huge. I mean, and it's not like, I look, I know as people get older, they tend to gain weight. Their metabolism slows down. You know, I'm not being like, God, she's fat. She should lose some weight. I'm saying she went from being svelte and, you know, she's, she, she's unrecognizable. Let me just say that. And right from the get-go, I mean, it's hard to believe that this is the same person. Right from the get-go, you realize, oh boy, she, she is off her rocker. Well, you said and, uh, that you need help. Uh, help? Yeah. I need yes. help getting back to my house that I never should have left because it was my homestead. Yeah. Uh, despite whoever lived there before me, it became my house when I purchased it. How do you feel health-wise now? Health-wise? Mm -hmm. um, I need to get the Bermuda Triangle off of me. Mm -hmm. <sighs> right. Um, because I don't want a hairy chest. Right. Potter or otherwise. Right. And I'm not you, a Kia pet. Right. And are you in good health as far as like your your heart and your lungs and everything are you well are you, you know damned if i do damned if i don't i mean if i say i'm healthy first thing they'll do is hurt me tonight who will hurt you whoever is um in security or at the bank uh-huh doing night work uh-huh well that's what i want who's doing off-duty police work in black and white yeah i mean dr phil's like yeah yeah and it goes on like that i mean that was a long clip these clips are kind of long but i'm gonna play them for you because they are it's like what i mean she's just i'm trying to get the bermuda triangle off of me because i don't want a hairy chest huh and you heard her refer to they'll hurt me tonight that la that goes on throughout the whole interview she refers to they you know, they'll do this. They hurt my back. Oh, well, they're going to do... They always come after me. She's She's got this weird paranoia going on. I mean, it, yeah. The man who's threatening me, uh, threatens me to... He said, you're going to... I'm going to hang you up on the wall in my classroom. Uh-huh. And who is this man? I don't know. Okay. Uh, but my guess would be he's been portrayed by... Uh, either John Hurd or John Hurt or um, God, what is the other guy's name is like, or Father Goose uh -huh. it's very confusing very disturbing to me because uh, they started out with ground zero and triple zero it's like when a nun at some place tells you you're almost triple zero and she meant it and anyway, and everybody was already listening in on me, even from Santa Monica. I mean, she just goes off. I mean, it's like, what are you talking about? And, you know, Dr. Drew, oh, excuse me, Dr. Phil, Dr. Drew, we are going to talk about in just a second. But Dr. Phil, you know, look, I am, like I said, I don't watch the Dr. Phil show. I've never been a huge Dr. Phil fan. 
I will tell you one interesting thing about Dr. Phil. Um, as a little side note here, Dr. Phil graduated from a high school very close to the one I went to. He went to Shawnee Mission North. I went to Shawnee Mission East. It's very odd. So we grew up in the same area, and I can tell you, no one in that area talks like Dr. Phil. I don't know where this accent comes from because we grew up in the same area, okay? So you need to uh, lose lose the act. He, I just have always thought that was very interesting. But anywho, back to the point. He's taken a very, he's gotten a lot of backlash for this interview. Um, you know, one of Stanley Kubrick's daughters spoke out immediately and was like, this is disgusting. This is, ex- you know, you're exploiting a woman who's clearly sick. You know, this is outrageous. And she just, first of all, I have to say something. Who, I think her name, I think it was Vivian Kubrick, one of his daughters. Who is she to come out and be like, first of all, okay, so Shelley Duvall worked with her father almost 40 years ago. They didn't get along well. I mean, if you if there's one thing I you get from these documentaries I was talking about, it was that they didn't get along well. Shelley, you know, he he was hard on her, blah blah blah. My point is, you know, that was the that was the extent of their relationship. I mean, look, my dad was a pulmonologist, a doctor. Do you think if one of his patients from 30, 25, 30, 35 years ago comes out and does something good or bad, do you think I'm going to feel empowered to be like, look, my dad gave her an exam 35 years ago, and I think this is great. It's very funny to me. It's like, huh? Who? Are, what? Okay. First, that's first of all. Second of all, and it's not just her, also Mia Farrow, who I like, but she kind of made the same comments. And her son, Ronan Farrow, followed suit. I like him a lot. I, th- I mean, I talked to him. I met him a few times. He's great. But... They're really, I think, misguided here because not at no point does Dr. Phil, you know, be like, isn't this crazy? She's off her rocker. What a crazy bitch. He's not like making fun of her. He's not. I mean, he's in fact quite the contrary. I have to say, you know, throughout the entire interview and in, in, from what you've heard, the little you've heard, it goes on like that the entire time. He'll ask her a question. I mean, he'll say did you have a nice breakfast? And she'll be like, well, you know, breakfast is, uh, you know, they made me breakfast three days ago and I ate it and it blew up in my face. And my face is a face of royalty and the royal highness. And And she just, it's like, whoa, he's very patient with her. I mean, like, it would be hard for me. Here's a, okay, here's an example of, and this is, I mean, so he asks her how she sleeps at night and just see where it goes. How do you sleep at night? How do I sleep? Do you sleep okay? Very difficultly, no. I, it's hard. I sleep with clothes and anything I can think of, like, to, to put behind me. Because they compromise my back, my spinal cord. They hurt my spinal cord. How do they do that? They did that with a hornet. And it's uh, some kind of hornet that is... Um, and I'm not calling Bette Midler a whore, and I'm not calling the group Chicago a whore. I'm just saying, here's this insect. It's about this long, inside measurements. Uh And um, it's striped 
on the abdomen like a, a, a yellow jacket. How long has that been going on? It was only once. Do you speak? Okay. Okay. Look. See, you know, he's very patient. He listens. He lets her go on. He never says, like, look, hello, rein it in here. I have to say, when I first watched this interview and she she starts talking, well, they hurt my back with a hornet, and, and I'm not calling Bette Midler a whore. <laughs> I mean, what? Okay. Again, I'm not laughing at her. I'm just, come on, let's have a sense of humor about this. Um, that was so random. She said they hurt my back i can't sleep how they hurt my back they did it with a hornet it hurt my spinal cord a hornet it's a hornet and i'm not calling bet midler a whore she like it's like she just she can't keep a single thought a train of thought so she's clearly sick and and you know dr phil never i don't know exploiting it is like you know using it to get i don't know it's not like he's putting her in some freak show and charging money for tickets. He's exposing, you know, it's, okay, when I saw this, first of all, I watched the interview. I was interested because I love The Shining. Um, I love her in The Shining. I know the work she's done. I have wondered kind of whatever happened to her. So to see the condition she's in, I'm now concerned. I hope she gets help. He was there to help her. I mean, like, he was trying to provide her with care, get her to the right doctors. It didn't go very well. I mean, she, again, she, because she would, she refused to, I mean, she went to the doctors he sent her to, but he refused to, or she refused to sign the documents once she got there. And it was just, the whole thing was just a struggle. And frankly, I was really moved and impressed by all that. Dr. Phil and his crew did to try and help her. She needs help. I mean, listen to how she's responding. I mean, this is a woman who, you know, was so creative. She did fairy tale theater for Showtime. She did kind of like a Tales from the Crypt type show for Showtime. She produced all kinds of stuff. And, you know, she's just, she's losing her mind. You know, like, this is the last clip I'll play, but listen to how many times he has to ask her a single question i mean it's it's pretty impressive on his part do you spend a lot of time alone um so mama off the train danny devito said it all didn't he (laughs) when you're spelling train (laughs) t-r-a-n-e or is that t-r-a-i-n do you spend a lot of time alone? My grandmother on my father's side work for the railroad. Oh, they do. Are, are you by yourself a lot? Uh, too much. Yeah. So when these people invited me out, I thought, well, that's nice. You know what? I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> Despite everybody else going, let me call the FBI first and, and check them out. It's like, do you know how, how long I live life without the FBI checking everything out first? One, two, four, four, five. One, two, four, four, five. Tell me about that. My home address. Uh-huh. A forty-five is a type of pistol. Right. Forty-five caliber. Yes. Uh-huh. So the double out six is a you know it's a shotgun, a sawed-off shotgun. Have you seen uh, the document? So, you know, he says, "Do you spend a lot of time alone?" Well, my grandma. You know, that's not edited. 
So he's, you know, are, are you spending a lot of time alone? She talks about her grandmother and what she did for a living. Do you spend a lot of time alone? Danny DeVito said it all, didn't he? Huh? And by the way, when you hear, you often hear, she'll say something, and then you'll hear this. <laughs> and it kind of sounds like she's maybe laughing at herself. I actually think that's a result of a respiratory problem. I, I used, when I was growing up, I had a, a teacher who was not healthy and, you know, it sounded like after almost everything she'd say, it'd be like, hi, you know, can I use the restroom, please? Yeah, you can. <laughs> it was like, it's like this weird gasp for air. I don't think she's really laughing. I think that's a sign of a respiratory problem. So she's clearly, I mean, and if you see her, you can see that she's not healthy. So anywho, you know, I'm talking about this because it was, it was deeply fascinating to me as someone who loves The Shining. Um, I, I actually haven't seen the Popeye movie, but, you know, she was in it with Robin Williams. And that's another thing. Robin Williams is brought up at one point in this interview. And she says it, at certain moments, she's kind of nor she seems lucid. She can hold a conversation a little bit. You know, when she talks about people she knew and experiences she had, she'll kind of, you know, get going on a roll here. And you'll think, OK, yeah, so maybe she's kind of snapped out of it. But then, you know, she'll just take a drastic turn and start rambling again when she mentioned robin williams she said that she loved working with him he was so funny it was a lot of fun and then she says that she doesn't think he's really dead dr phil says well what do you mean like what do you where do you think he is shape shifting <laughs> what do you, do you see him half yes that's what she says this is what she says so you know when it comes to is this exploitative exploitive I don't know. You know, I guess I'm on the fence. I think that I understand that this is putting someone on camera who's obviously not in a great state. But at the same time, why are we talking? Why would we view mental illness so differently than um, if she had a heart condition? You know, ex exposing it, if nothing else, will at least let people know of the problem. And hopefully maybe some people will reach out and try and help her. Maybe some people who are closer to her than Dr. Phil. But the last thing I want to play, and I have to pull this up, is um, a reaction from Dr. Drew Pinsky. He's very familiar with backlash like this as well. He did celebrity rehab. I, I listened to um, Dr. Drew's podcast. He hosted a show on HLN. I like Dr. Drew a lot. I think he's incredibly smart. I think he's really caring. If you listen to his shows as opposed to just see him on TV every now and then, you can see that he is, has genuine compassion for people that he works, that he, his patients. And so he gets a lot of backlash a lot too. Um, sometimes when on celebrity rehab, people would leave his facility and relapse and some of them died and they blame Dr. Phil. Oh, God, they blame Dr. Drew. Excuse me. I'm getting my TV doctors confused. Anywho, Dr. Drew was asked about this very situation and asked to kind of chime in on what he thinks of the backlash. Give it a listen. There's an ad With first. With McCafe rewards in the app, buy five McCafe beverages. There's an ad first because I'm not playing it through audio. I'm playing the YouTube video. I apologize. Okay, here's Dr. Drew Pinsky responding to the backlash for Dr. Phil. There's no reason to age, okay? I'm not liquor. I'm not hard liquor. 
Dr. Phil's interview today with troubled actress Shelley Duvall is being called exploitive given Shelley's mental state. Another famed TV doc, Dr. Drew Pinsky, has been criticized in the past for his troubled celebrity interventions. But now Dr. Drew offers his take on this controversy, which was sparked by criticism from Stanley Kubrick's daughter. What's your reaction? My reaction is I'm a little disturbed by her reaction. I, I understand that she's uncomfortable, Kubrick's daughter's uncomfortable seeing Shelley Duvall with chronic mental illness. Take a minute. But that's her discomfort. Shelley is perfectly comfortable with this. Just because she's psychotic, she has all these delusions, that's, that's evidence of a chronic psychotic illness of some type. But just because she has a brain disease doesn't mean we should treat her differently than she had a disease of any other organ. Our discomfort is one thing. Her discomfort, look, she's cognitively aware. People with psychotic and mental illness consent to things all day long. She wanted to do this interview. She consented to it. Have a seat. Dr. Drew has not treated Shelley Duvall, and we have not independently verified his assessment of her mental state or level of consent. If she is suffering with a mental illness, is she in the right state of mind to be making these decisions? The answer is, it's hard to tell. The reality is people with mental illness like this consent to all sorts of things. They will sign legal documents. They will consent to medical treatment. And they usually don't think back and say, unless they're floridly psychotic, they usually don't think back and say, gee, I wasn't in my right mind. They took advantage of me. Is I, it exploitative, though, for that, ratings? Shelley Duvall, when she gets treatment and is better, is she going to look back and say, damn, they exploited me? Or she's going to, is she going to say, you know what? They wanted to do it. I wanted to do it. It helped me. I, I keep thinking to myself, I'm just so glad that mental illness is, we can look at it and talk about it and not stigmatize it and not react to it the way Kubrick's daughter did and with such horror and aghast. So you're saying the benefit is for the public good to see somebody that was a celebrity that we knew from movies like The Shining, Popeye, to see that she too is suffering from this mental illness. There is much to be gained by I that. I think there is potentially much to be gained and really as long as she is consenting to it, good for her. Would it have been better for Dr. Phil to perhaps meet with Shelley Duvall in private and treat her that way? So the question is about outcome, right? Is it better for the patient outcome-wise? And that's, you, you can't really answer that question, right? Dr. Phil hasn't commented on the criticism, but Dr. Drew is familiar with scrutiny over public versus private treatment. Six of his celebrity patients passed away after being on his reality show. Celebrity rehab yep. came under a lot of fire because some of the people you were treating ended up. All right, so then they get into his his show. I think, yeah, so, you know, take from that what you will. I agree with him. I, you know, it's hard because I get it. I can see why people would think that it's not, no one would want to be put on television in that state. At the same time, though, who was thinking about her until this week? You know, she had fallen from public view. Who, she's living in some small town in Texas. She's obviously not taking care of herself or being taken care of. I watched it because I liked her movies. I'm interested in her well-being. I'm in, when I saw this, it, I was shocked. I was sad. I'm not going to sit here and be like, "Oh my gosh, you know, I'm gonna, I want to get in touch and send her money or anything like that." Because you know, I don't want to, you know, I'm just being honest here. But I did. I wasn't. I didn't watch it for like the freak show value, if that makes any sense. And I can't imagine a lot of people did. They were probably more interested to see what has become of someone that they know from some great, great films. So anyway, that was in the news. I thought it was very interesting. It had me intrigued. Um, and that, you know, we're just about out of time here tonight. 
So I'm going to play a few more songs and then we will wrap it up. You're listening to The Next Best Thing on Radio Free Brooklyn. J'ai vu New York, New York USA J'ai jamais rien vu d'eau J'ai jamais rien vu d'aussi haut C'est haut, c'est haut New York, New York USA J'ai vu New York, New York USA J'ai vu New York, New York USA J'ai jamais rien vu d'eau, j'ai jamais rien vu d'aussi haut, c'est haut, c'est haut, New York, New York is a fasted building, Rockefeller Center, International Building, Waldorf Astoria, Pan American Building, Bank of Manhattan. All right, that just about does it for us tonight. You've been listening to The Next Best Thing. I'm John B. Lerner. John, J-O-N-B as in boy, Lerner, L-E-R-N-E-R. And you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Next Best Radio. Or, and uh, like our Facebook page. That's where you'll see all of the articles we refer to, all the cool stuff we have coming up. That is facebook.com slash NBT radio, all one word. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And we will see you next time, next Monday, same time, same place, right here on Radio Free Brooklyn every Monday night from 10 o'clock p.m. to 12 o'clock a.m. I hope everyone has an magnificent week. I'm sure there'll be a lot to talk about next week. So until then, be well, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Radio Free Brooklyn, a fully volunteer-owned and operated radio station. If you like what you're listening to, go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.com and click on the Donate button. When you donate your hard-earned dollars to the station, 
You are supporting the Radio Free Brooklyn community and independent radio in the heart of the internet. Go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.com and click on Donate. Thank you.